The Ryan Tuberty Show on RTE Radio 1 with Elevon Merchant Services. Growing your business is easy peasy with us by your side. At uh, just coming up to 9.26, I want to introduce you to one of Britain's most venerable actors of stage and screen, but also writer who's laughing at the mere uh, description, Simon Callow. <laughs> Very lovely to meet you. Thanks for being with us this morning. Great pleasure. Why does that bring a smile to your face? Venerable, yes. uh, as in the venerable bead, you yeah. mean. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, I could say vulnerable, but I don't know you well enough. <laughs> well, that's certainly true. <laughs> I'd love to begin by talking to you about uh, women. Uh, for oh. start. Yeah, I know it's a strange start, but I, I find, you know, reading about you, that the women in your in your life, in your family in the past, yeah. were so formative, yeah, and so interesting, yeah, and so dramatic, yeah. Particularly your grandmother, yeah, absolutely. And could you introduce her to us? Well, my grandmother was an altogether remarkable woman. She she had a a, a huge personality. Yes, personality yeah. mattered a great deal to her. She had been a singer. She'd uh, uh, even been an actress, but she r- ran away on the road. It was just too much for her. Mm. Uh, she had you know, nerves, all the rest of it. But she her life was absolutely focused on creating an extraordinary atmosphere. Yeah. She was very dramatic. She and I used to dress up in her clothes mostly. Yes. And uh, I was extraordinarily um, uh, in touch with her. She was, it was like, it was a, a relationship like no grandchild and grandmother should expect. Yes. It was as if we were soulmates. And uh, uh, her daughters detested her, my, including my mother. Um, Did they? Uh, yeah, they really couldn't bear it. I, I once <laughs> said to my, my mother, so what was, what was, she was known as Mater, my, yes. my grandmother. What was it like, uh, what was Mater like as a mother? And she said, uh, I never thought of her as a mother. I thought of her as an actress playing the role of a mother, which was oh, a, a, a double whammy for me. <laughs> her contempt both for acting and her mother came out in, <laughs> in one fell swoop. I wonder, is it, is it uh, the case that sometimes in, in life a grandparent will, will skip yeah. the filial love yeah. for the next generation? Yeah. Is that what happened in I case? think that's most certainly what happened in our case. And uh, she she was um, uh, I don't know whether was she a good mother or a bad mother I don't know but she yeah. she she like many people in the thirties had a terrible uh, struggle economically her yes. husband had been out of work he was an engineer out of work for the whole of the thirties yeah. and she then found herself she who had been rather nicely brought up you know yeah. uh, uh, with with servants and so on um found herself working in underground kitchens uh, yeah. at one point selling watches to nurses you know those watches yes. watches they used to pin on their lapels uh, um and so she heroically did all of that but her her children didn't feel that she was really attending to them right. closely enough gosh what a strange thing. so it's tough i mean and the husband was uh, very angry because he was you know uh, out of out of, out yeah. of work, didn't feel like the head of the family. It's a tremendous saga. I mean, almost everybody's background, of course, probe it is a saga. But this grandmother of mine had, amongst other things, the most exquisite speaking voice. And it's my bitter regret that I never recorded it oh, because sure. it really was a caress. Her voice was a caress. And uh, she still used to sing to me. She'd sing opera arias and uh, all this sort of thing um, uh, to me. And uh, it, it it was a wonderful voice. It was um, what, what I would describe as a contralto basso voice. I yeah. mean, she was absolutely 
had, had those deep, deep, deep notes. Wonderful. I mean, she was just a, my dream of heaven, that woman. Um, but uh, but it was very interesting that she was. She took to her bed at a certain point, although she could always rally for a party. <laughs> the prospect of a party was <laughs> electrifying. <laughs> yes, yeah. Okay. So there's, there's great complication there, but great love, uh, clearly, in the, the way you reminisce about her. Um, and then you, you mentioned your, your own mother and, and her sisters. She, Your mother was... Um, she was unwell, really, towards the end, isn't that it? You, My mother had she, uh, dementia for, for the last uh, 10 years, or probably more than that, you know, somewhat concealed. Yes. In the way that dementia sometimes is. She had a sort of terrible couple of years of extreme paranoia. And then she collapsed mentally and uh, was in a home for, for the last 10 years of her life and for the last five years of her life silent. So she died at 97. But, uh, Do you think um, she was confessmentous in her silence or was it, was it too hard it, to really say? hard to yeah, say, isn't yeah. it? Is it? Well, of course, with silence. Who knows? Who knows? We, none of us knows. Yeah. My impression was, and it may be a fantasy on my part, but my yes. impression was that she was um, trying to solve a problem in her mind. She looked, she went, I went to... The home where you know I I I, I installed her into the, in this home, which was a wonderful place in yeah. many ways, um, and you'd look around and you could see people in various stages of mental vacancy, just nothing going on. But my mother never stopped thinking, furiously thinking, though she stopped speaking, as I said, for five years, and the five years before that was great, great confusion. But I had this feeling that she would not die until she'd solved this problem. Right. And finally she did She did uh, um, let it let go, you know. And so she was a Catholic, a very, very, very devout and obedient Catholic. And my other feeling about it is that she believed that uh, it was not up to her to decide when she died, but God would choose the moment for her. And so maybe he did finally for her choose that moment. You were very young when your father left the, the, yeah, the, the, 18, the, months the 18 months old mm. and she as a Catholic couldn't countenance the idea of marriage or you know I mean it was Indeed. desperately sad and restrictive uh, yes her. but also she had understandably rather turned against men generally speaking <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Uh, 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 indeed, um, uh, the, then we had a reunion, which was a, a completely bizarre thing, a completely contrived thing. But my father said, oh, it was a terrible mistake. We should get back together again. But he was living in Africa. We went to Africa. I was, yeah. uh, how old was I when I went to Africa? I was I was uh, nine. nine, I think. Yes, that's right. And uh, uh, we, we spent two incredibly uncomfortable months in his house when he just turned against her, turned the servants against her, locked the rooms off her. It was a yeah. terrible, traumatic You, you time. really remember that, don't you? Looking at you, like that's that's nine years old. You wouldn't forget that. You were there. You, you really went right back would there. Yeah, yeah, that I bad, would. yeah. But I, rem I remember the past very vividly. Do you really? I have. A, it's almost like a, a disease. I, I keep going <laughs> over and over and, and marinating it and, 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 and analyzing it and, and trying to evoke it. Um, I, I, and I'm surprised when I find other people don't. Do you want to? <clears throat> do you want to go there? Are you dragged there? Oh, no, no, no. I do want to go so there. So you but want to review, review it's it? It's there installed in my brain incredibly yeah. vividly. Um, how accurate it is or not, uh, almost nobody will be able to tell anymore. But, but, uh, and it's my great task in life is to write it all down. Whether anybody wants to read it or not, I don't know. Oh, but you, you, you're, you've written some extraordinary books, and I want to talk to you about writing now because I think your mother wanted you to be a writer. And, and uh, Well, what she, my mother really wanted me to be was a teacher. Okay. 
Uh, particularly, she wanted me to be a university don. That was her vision. She Quite used specific, to often yeah. say to me, I have a picture of you walking across a quadrangle, wearing <laughs> your gown and your mortarboard, and um, students running alongside you, trying to keep up with you, to write down the wonderful things you're saying. <laughs> okay. And of course, it, it wasn't long before I realized that it was herself she was talking about. Right. She wanted to be that her person. Her dream. Her dream was to have people listen to her and note what she said. She, she was a very... She has a very disorganized brain in many ways, but she had views about pretty well everything and uh, pretty strong and, and rather caustic views about everything. And um, so the idea that I would become an actor was right. just beneath contempt to her. The idea oh, no. that I would... Uh, um, uh, she said, when I, I was at Queen's University... In uh, Belfast. Uh, in Belfast, when I did the first acting I ever really did yep. in my life. And I, thank God, realized how absolutely awful I was and that I'd have to go away and find out if I could act at all. I had no idea whether I had the slightest talent at all. Mm. And then um, uh, I went to her and said, this is it, I'm leaving university. And she said, you're an idiot, you're yeah. an absolute fool, you have no talent, whatever. You will fail completely and abjectly, but, she said, uh, if you don't do it, you'll spend the rest of your life regretting it. So I think you should do it. But what don't a expect a single oh, penny right. ever from me ever again for this. And and she she she, <laughs> she, she, she certainly was good to her word. <laughs> My what, God. A, what a complicated response to your decision to leave. Like in in the sense that she's going, you're terrible. Yeah. But you've got to do it. Yeah. I mean, in a way, it's a very there, it's strange. There is some wisdom there is in it as well, it is, yeah, you know, yeah. and it might have been true. Yeah. It might well have turned out that I, indeed, for my first 18 months at drama school, I think almost everybody thought he's uh, absolutely hopeless. I was hanging by a thread, okay. uh, as they later told me. But then suddenly, and these things happen, yeah. I had a series of breakthroughs in my training, which is why one of the many reasons why I think training for actors is so important, because you need time. It really takes time for you, unless you're preternaturally gifted, and mm -hmm. I obviously wasn't, um, to, to, to understand what the process of acting really is. And when I suddenly, it just absolutely uh, um, um, broke into my brain with the force of revealed truth, yeah. what acting was, then there was no stopping me yeah, at and all. And you were in. You know. How old were you when you wrote to Laurence Olivier? Uh, so I was 60, 68, I wrote to Sir Lawrence, uh, um, so I was, no, no, 67 actually, I was 18, 18. And why did you write to him? Well, I wrote to him because I, I was absolutely stage struck, although I had absolutely also no, no notion that I might be an actor. Mm. Uh, it, it, that hadn't occurred to me because I'd never done acting in school. I'd, I went to a school unusually which had no school drama at all. None of my schools ever had any school drama. And so, um, I, I, but I fell in love with the theatre. I went to the theatre uh, with the school initially, then off my own bat or sometimes with another grandmother, my, sure. my father's mother. Uh, uh, and I, I was read all about it. I, I read the lives of actors. I read Stanislavski. I read everything. Uh, but still, never this idea never occurred to me. But one day I was at the Olvik, then run uh, as the National Theatre by Laurence Olivier. And I just thought, what an incredible organization this is, because everybody here wants to be here. All, right. they, they, all the people who work here are committed to the idea of getting this stuff on the stage. And so I said, um, you know, um, uh, uh, I wrote a letter. I, I, yeah. I wrote a three tightly uh, composed, th three full-scap page 
letter typed by me on my own little typewriter um, uh, to Laurent Olivier, explaining to him what a wonderful theatre he was running. And he wrote back and said, well, if you like it so much, why don't you come and work here? There's a job in the box. <laughs> yeah. uh, in fact, I don't think he said come and work. He yeah. said, uh, come and meet the box office manager and, and we'll see if you can get a job Great. in the box office. And so I had this interview and I was in. And then, boy, was I ever in because I, I, I just, I, I, I saw the life of the theatre. Yeah. I saw what it is. I saw what the work is. And it thrilled me so much. And so then I rather cynically just went to, to university in order to act. Yes. But fortunately... Uh, um, discovered that I uh, uh, couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you studied in Queen's University in Belfast and then you went to Drama Centre yep. in, in London to, yep. to, to try and see if you can hack your way through the, exactly. the uh, life. And, and then obviously with, with that in, in mind, you... You uh, you achieved your goal. You learned how to act and became a wonderful actor, which you, to this day you continue to be. Well, um, that's nice of you to say. I, 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 like many actors, still feel, as the late, great Cyril Cusack used to say, uh, uh, that when he finished every job, it felt like the last one he'd ever get. And when he started a job, he felt it was the first one he'd ever had. Do uh, you still feel that way? Yes, yes, yes. Do yes, you yes, really? Yes. And I think that's quite healthy. Uh, I mean, if you just become proficient and think, I know how to do this. Yeah. To do this. I, I think it's not good. So I spent quite a lot of time in rehearsal, just um, thrashing about a lot, uh, trying to get the measure of it, the, the the taste of it, the 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 bones and the blood of it. You know, it's uh, you're you're doing something very complicated, which is you're trying to be another person. You're trying yeah. to think the thoughts of another human being. That's a very difficult thing to do. You can learn lines and yeah. just say them, but if you're really trying to think as another human being, then uh, um, you, 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 everything changes. Your body changes, your voice changes, uh, your life changes, you know. Uh, in this, the show that I, I'm doing at the moment, which is called Anything Goes. In the Board Gosh. Uh, board Gosh, yes. That's part uh, of the reason uh, you're here today. Yes, yes. indeed. Uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm playing a character called Elijah Whitney, mm -hmm. who is an alcoholic, uh, extraordinarily rich man, uh, and uh, uh, eccentric and irascible. And... Um, you know, um, uh, uh, it, there's a, that's a type, as it were. You yes. It's a well-known type. But but how do you actually, how does it feel like to be Elijah Whitney, <laughs> you know? Uh, that's a really challenging thing. And uh, uh, certainly for the first week or so of rehearsal, I don't think I had uh, really any grip on him at all. And yes. then suddenly one day, uh, luckily, I, I said a line which absolutely sounded to me like Elijah Whitney talking and thinking. And then, got it. So I, yeah, so I got the taste of it. I got the sample yeah. of yes. it. Yes. And I was able to spread him through my entire Is that right? organism. So you, you, and then you became the guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just yeah. need to catch that, that will-o'-the-wisp of a, of a moment. Uh, yeah, exactly. In business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let me ask you, a bit, a bit, if I may, about uh, Michal McLeamore. Uh, yes. uh, who's somebody who, uh, who of course, um, is a, a person of interest, if, if you like, because <laughs> I think it was 1969, and uh, you were, were you his dresser? Is that, mm. is that right? Can, can you take us there for a moment? For sure. Uh, it was um, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Irish University Drama Association yes. had its annual kind of event in Belfast that year. It was rotated, you know. And uh, they had invited the, the uh, uh, organizers of the festival. It was the Belfast Festival. But had invited Michael McClearmore to come and adjudicate the, uh, the drama sure. uh, uh, association. And, uh, and part of the deal was that he would do his great show, The Importance of Being Oscar, twice as well. So I said, I went to the 
the student magazine, which is called Gaun or Gain, and and, uh, and uh, I said, look, I know who this guy is, this Michael McLeod. Yeah. I've heard records of this performance yeah, yeah, of his, yeah. and I've read a book that he wrote, and uh, I'd like to go down to Dublin and and uh, um, interview him. So they said, great. And they gave me a tape recorder, which was about the size of a, a, <laughs> a table. A, a, exactly. Yeah. A, a, a small house, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and um, found myself in Harcourt Terrace, where wow. Michael and Hilton uh, lived and, and held court, you know, and um, was utterly, totally bewitched by this extraordinary man. Bewitched is, I think, pretty well the right word. It was mm. like he was casting a spell. Um, but he was so exotic and peculiar to meet in 1969. You know, in yeah. in, in in modern Dublin, he was he was he was uh, wearing a, a smoking jacket uh, of, uh, of uh, I think uh, velvet. Of, uh, or ve yes, it yes. was velvet. But I'm trying to get the, the red burgundy. Oh, sorry, excuse me. Burgundy yes, yeah, velvet yeah, yeah, uh, with with toggles and all the rest yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, he was also quite clearly heavily wigged. And uh, he heavily but incompetently wigged, <laughs> and um, uh, wearing makeup. I mean, a great deal of it. And uh, yes. I had not encountered anybody in real life uh, uh, like that. And uh, but once he started to speak, he just spun this 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 continuous web of charm and fascination and wit and outrageousness and uh, um, uh, <laughs> a very saucy uh, conversation it was altogether. And so I, I, I recorded it all and, wow. uh, and dragged the great big machine back to, um, uh, to, to my uh, um, digs in, in Belfast and uh, then started the extremely tiresome work of transcribing it, a long conversation, you know, yeah. and eventually I sort of gave up and started making it up or, or remembering <laughs> as best I could, you know, and finally filed the piece and sent it to him. And, and then he, he wrote back and he said, uh, um, uh, he said, uh, uh, your piece was the first truthful interview I've ever had with anyone. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful the way you transcribed my every thought. <laughs> it was, so, that is a very uh, commendable accent. I must say. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, then, then when, 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 when it came time for him to come up, somebody mm. said to me, look, uh, he'll need somebody to look after him because he's got terrible cataracts and uh, he's almost blind, actually, okay. which I hadn't realized. Although, of course, it made sense because he was like a seer. He was like okay. Tiresias. Or something. <laughs> and, and so I, 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 I then uh, um, looked after him. You know, I really did have to yeah. look after him yes, quite yes. carefully because, uh, A, he was a bit frail, but also he needed to be... Uh, protected from too many people coming to to, to come up to him because he was a big celebrity even then and yes. um, and then he did and then of course I was in the festival playing Trigorin in the Seagull and uh, he finally adjudicated me and said my very dear friend oh, Mr Simon nice. Callow <laughs> not I fear a born actor <laughs> oh, a no. born writer perhaps <laughs> because of course the piece I'd written about him so I said to him afterwards Michael um, this is very um, um, uh, shocking to me you you said I wasn't a born ah oh, but you could become one, my dear boy. <laughs> <laughs> so it's how you become a born actor right? oh, is the puzzle has been the continuing puzzle of my life. You've, you've written Simon Callow. You've written extensively about uh, Oscar, Oscar, excuse me, Orson Welles, who doesn't he have a, a connection with the gate? Yeah, absolutely. The At the, the age of sixteen, he, yes, he made this extraordinary, sensational debut, and he played 
The Duke in uh, Jesus, which was a very popular play of the time. Uh, uh, and uh, so he found himself playing opposite Hilton Edwards, who was playing the, 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 um, uh, the title role, yeah. Jesus. Uh, and... Um, uh, uh, he had a sensational success. This huge boy from the American Midwest, uh, um, with a rumbling great voice, remarkable and figure, an really, astonishing yeah. personality, and all of this, and uh, and he stayed uh, in Dublin for. Oh, about six or seven months, and uh, did uh, odd things at the Peacock, and yeah. uh, uh, um, um, and, and uh, lots of plays at the at the at the Gate, um, in sort of declining uh, uh, significance. I mean, he was very very young, so it's hardly surprising that he wasn't quite ready to be a leading actor yeah. of the Gate Theatre. But he learned so much, not just from Michael, but particularly from Hilton Edwards, who was, of course. Uh, a really superb stage director. And he and Michael we used to go every year to Berlin, uh, this is in the 30s, to see the state of art of, yeah. of, of the modern theatre, whereas, whereas the Abbey was ploughing a very different mm. furrow, uh, um, uh, forging a national drama. Yes, yes, what they were interested in at the gate was international well, They were ahead of them at their time, yeah, weren't yeah, they? So way, many, in so yeah. many ways when you think yeah, about it, you know. Absolutely. Um, you know, you, you've written about Charles Lawton, mm. and I, I've always found Charles, Charles Lawton very interesting for a number of reasons. One is because Night of the Hunter yeah. was one of the great films, great, great and he film. directed it once. The reviews were, were awful, and he, I think he took a turn against it as a result. You can fill me in on this. But the other uh, reason, obviously, The Hunchback of Notre Dame was mm. like an extraordinary uh, yeah. portrayal of, of a deeply wounded individual yeah. in Paris and so on. Yeah. And the final thing I'll mention in, to complete that trilogy of points that, that hopefully you'll respond to, Simon, is the, is the the fact that um, somebody who I spoke to a couple of times before she passed away is Maureen O'Hara. Mm. And she always said that Charles Lawton was the reason that she was such a success because he mm. minded her in a time yeah. when, you know, young women like that uh, arriving from Ireland into yeah. Hollywood could have had a very different career path. But Charles Lawton said, no, I'll, I'll take yeah. you in. He was, he was a remarkable man, obviously so much so that you wrote about him. He was a very generous man in many ways. And lots of people that I spoke to, uh, especially women, interestingly, yes. had uh, a lot of men took against him, uh, especially very um, uh, butch, Ma heterosexual, macho, macho yeah, okay. men. Uh, like Ray Milland and people like that, and uh, Stuart Granger hated him because he, he was gay and 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 uh, although that, that was a secret, yeah. I mean everybody knew. Really. But the great undiscussed, uh, yes. absolutely, yeah. and 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 because he was strangely um, intuitive and uh, sensitive mm. in a in a in a in a alarming way. I mean oversensitive, whatever. But women very often found him very sympathetic and actually found him rather sexy. Amazingly enough, Marilyn Monroe went on record as saying he was one of the sexiest men she'd ever met because, Gosh. of course, he was a great teacher as well and she was terribly drawn to people who'd make sense of yeah. the world mm, for her. Yeah. And uh, he was, uh, um, I think, one of, the, one of the greatest examples of what acting can really be, which is an art, mm. a great art. It's a craft, of course it is. Uh, 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 must And craft m must exist there. But uh, 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 the desire to create images which are indelible, which, are, uh, which account 
give us an account of the human condition in in, in intensified form. Mm-hmm. When Brecht said to, to Lawton, who played Galileo first in the English language, um, uh, he said, Lawton, why, are, why do you act? And he said, because I think I can show people what they're like. Mm-hmm. And that's what he does. But in, in intensified form, he was a great art collector, and he, he knew that the image of the performance was also an absolutely crucial thing. Remarkable. Um, remarkable. Uh, you, uh, can you, uh, some of the listeners want to get in and we're, we're, we're running yeah. out of time but I want to involve them yeah. in, in, yeah, your, yeah. in our chat. Simon Callow, uh, Rob says could you ask Simon about filming that hilarious scene in Room with a View when that to run around the pond naked? Uh, you can give it a simple answer to that. Was it a, a joy or a torture? It, it, it was a torture because it was so cold. Oh, no. They had promised that they'd warm that <laughs> pond up. It was absolutely freezing. So as I as I've often said, it, it resulted in the proof of the old axiom: there are no small actors, only small parts. As a result, <laughs> all, all well, beautifully put and well explained. And, uh, and uh, by the way, a remarkably uh, wonderful film, wonderful. of course. Uh, fabulous Simon Callow. I was at the Cork Film Festival, says Jean in Cork, many years ago, mm. when I very proudly took my, uh, Simon to see Michael McLeamore's childhood home in Blackrock. Yeah. And he very kindly explained to me that McLeamore had entirely made up his Cork backstory. <laughs> I was actually born and raised in London. <laughs> Absolutely I mean, true. Is that true? He was born in Wilsdon, yes, which is a rather dingy London suburb, and was as English as could be. And uh, both sides of his family, Kentish people, they were. And uh, the name, of course, is an absolute invention. His name was Alfred Wilmore. But What's interesting is talking about <laughs> hiding in plain sight. Yes. Uh, he was a famous boy actor in the London theatre. Okay. At the, at the age of, oh my goodness. of, of uh, I think, uh, nine, uh, no, a bit more, uh, 13 or something like that, yeah. he played Oliver Twist to Beerbohm Trees, Fagin. This is the most famous actor of his day. So Michael was absolutely oh, known as, a, as this child actor, English child actor. English child actor. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Simon Cowell, 25. Five years ago, says John Lucy in Galway, uh, in uh, Shaftesbury Avenue, on the street, he stopped to chat when it costed by me. He was so gracious and kind. I was off to Arts Educational School London by train. His book, Being an Actor, is a masterpiece for aspiring actors. Uh, Simon Cowell says, Karen, uh, his Austin Wells books are a great read. Another says, I could listen to Simon talk all day. The tone and the timbre of his voice is just so colourful. No, uh, no people like show people. Um, <laughs> you, you, you got married in 2016 to Sebastian is yep, that right that's right um, and um, how is are, are you a happy happily married happy in life is, is couldn't how, be happier how are you is what I'm asking it to say I'm, I'm very well thank you and, uh, <laughs> as we say goodbye yeah, let and, me ask you how are you and we're very well too <laughs> Sebastian and to I yeah. yeah okay that's it's all been, good this is your not your first trip to Ireland, obviously. You've, oh my God! We've here been here in their Cork. You're a regular, are you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever I can come, I adore it. I was in Balaki uh, uh, earlier this year, where of course Seamus Heaney uh, was born, and uh, his that's his home place. Yeah, a lovely museum up there. Yeah, too, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I, I, I was. Taught, I mean, Seamus was one of my lecturers at Queen's, and uh, but then we became friends, and uh, 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 it was so thrilling to read his work in yeah. in his own, you know. 
hood. Yes, that must have been lovely. And he, he had a lovely speaking voice himself, actually. He had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a wonderful reader yeah. of his own verse. I, I persuaded him to read his translation of Beowulf, parts of it, yes. at uh, uh, Paul Schofield's memorial service in oh, London beautiful. in uh, Westminster Abbey. It was just uh, phenomenal. He was a generous man. No doubt, no doubt. Simon Callow, it's been lovely to talk to you today. And you're on uh, uh, the Bordgosh Energy Theatre uh, boards, as it were, uh, with Anything Goes, which starts on the 18th to the 20th. 2nd of May. I hope it's a roaring success. Thank you. And with you in it, I'm no doubt it will be. Uh, I wish you every happiness. Come and see us again sometime. We've, we've plenty more to discuss, so I don't be a stranger. That. Nice to see you. Thank you, Thank Simon. You. Joining us live in studio this morning at 7 minutes to 10. 